talking uh, with composer Miriam Cutler, who is uh, renowned for her amazing work in scoring some of the best documentaries, as well as for feature films and TV. But uh, thank you so much uh, for talking with me today. It's a pleasure. Um, so I guess to start off, how did you uh, discover music and what, <laughs> what led you to composing for films? What, put, what got you in that direction? It's a very long story, but I'll try to cut to the chase. <laughs> I come from a very musical family, and you know everybody played instruments in my family. I think my grandmother even played in a Nickelodeon on the piano. Oh wow! So it, it was always just part of our life. But I never ever was encouraged to become a professional. I mean, that was the last thing on my mind, and my parents were not at all into it. My my brother was a wonderful trumpet player, and they discouraged him. You know, he went into business and became a lawyer, and mm -hmm. that's kind mm -hmm. of what they wanted for me. But I was pretty hard to um, convince of that. <laughs> So I went to school, you know, I went to college and I started majoring in music, but I hated theory so much that I changed my major to anthropology. Oh, and, nice. and I just started getting really into ethnic music and anthropology and I went to grad school. But then I realized I wasn't an academic. So um, I left and I ended up in these bands that were very kind of street kind of bands, just fun. And I was writing songs and getting lots of good feedback but I never thought about scoring because I thought, you know, you've got to have a formal music education for that. And even though I'd been writing and playing music for my whole life, it never really was from an academic point of view or theoretical. Right. But uh, one time I was at a gig and someone came up to me after the gig and, and told me they had this little documentary and would I like to put music to it. So I said, sure, you know, let me see what it is. And I had a, a songwriting uh, demo studio already, so in those days we didn't have synchronization to pictures, so you kind of had to race around the studio, <laughs> turning on the tape recorder, turning on you know the video player, and hope that they were relatively close. You know when you're trying to figure out if this was going to work. In those days, you had to use this book called the Knudsen book, where you cal you actually calculated based on the tempo and the beats and footage frames where the music was going to hit. And so that seemed way over my head. I mean, I just thought, oh, my God, this is like worse than academic, you know. Yeah. But I really loved doing it. And then those days, I think also, at least on the low-budget side, and, and probably even in the big films, there was a lot more music editing that went on. You know, people would write all this music, and then there would be people that would cut it and make it work as the picture changed, mm -hmm. which, as you know, films are always in flux. Uh, until the day they show in the theater, probably. Right. So, um, anyway, that's the long. That's that's the short version of the story. Believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. It's uh, and uh, when you, when you started um, started writing music, you, since you didn't have that, I guess classical training, as I guess they would call it. I mean, what kind of instruments were you using? Were you sticking with what you knew? And uh, like, how did you write for stuff that you didn't know? It's interesting. Um, I mean, I, I played in bands forever, and I, I'm a horn player and a singer, and I also, you know, I play piano, and mm -hmm. I used to play the guitar, and, you know, all the things, because growing up as a hippie, you know, I had to play folk songs and things like that, <laughs> and, you know, it's part of the culture. Um, 
it's interesting, you know, I was just getting my studio going when all the home studio stuff was beginning to kind of explode. Um, in those days, you know, early on, if you wanted to record something, you had to go to a regular studio and fork out the money and, you know, just buying the tape, it was like two inch tape. And it was very expensive. You could spend $300 on a roll of tape that would give you maybe one or two songs. Yeah. And so, you know, it was very prohibitive creatively. You know, if you had to like prepare and save up and be really together, like you'd rehearse and rehearse, and then you'd go to the studio and record it. Not like now. So when the home studio started, it was Tazcam and Fostex came out with these four tracks. And my very first studio was a four track cassette player. It was a Fostex four-track four cassette player, and I did really elaborate demos on that with horns and vocals and, you know, guitars, and you would just bounce and bounce and bounce and bounce, and it had a certain kind of sound. So it was really interesting. I mean, I think that, um, you know, the in those days, and then the, when the synthesizers came through, started coming out, we were all, like, enamored with these analog synthesizers. Everybody thought, wow, this is like so cool. So we started writing with those, thinking how cool they were. And of course, if you listen to scores that came out during that time, they got dated very quickly. Oh, yeah. but, it, but when we were doing it, it seemed like the coolest thing, you know, and this was the new sound. And, and everyone really, not everyone, but it really did take over. And it also probably started the explosion of people being able to do scores in their home, you know, because you had these electronic instruments. And then, of course, over time, they started developing the digital ones that had that came closer to, you know, to sounding more like real instruments. And we've seen it come full circle now. And you kind of have it's just completely been in, in, in integrated into the pe pastiche of sounds available for composers. Right. I guess, so, I, I guess I'm not I'm not a composer, but I, I, I interview uh, other composers and they show me, you know, they have the, the entire orchestra at their keyboard and they can just, you know, bring up samples and stuff like that. It's quite crazy. It is. And, you know, not just that. I mean, you've got things that sound like recognizable instruments. And for me, who I have a particular interest in ethnic music, mm -hmm. it made it possible. Like I, when I was young, I dreamed of having this band that would have all these ethnic instruments in it, you know, like there, there would be, you know, tablas and, and just things from all over the world. And it was really hard to find people that could even play them or even know what they were. So as these samples started coming out, you know, for me, that was fantastic. And it gave it, it really allowed me to explore my interest in ethnic music. And also, of course, when I'm working on a film that has an ethnic, you know, that takes place somewhere where they want to have elements of that, it, it makes it easy to imagine. But now I've come full circle where I replace it with real stuff. Right. But it does... It does give you the ability, you know, for like early on, if I wanted to write a piece of music and hear it played, it was just a huge ordeal. You know, you had to hire people to come and play it. You had to get somebody to do the school, you know, to write out the music or you had to write it out yourself. And is very time consuming. And I think part of what's been so incredible about the technology explosion is that it allows creative people. It just gives you more stuff to play with and imagine with. And for me, that's been really, really fun. And it made it possible for someone like me who doesn't have a very elaborate, um, you know, academic music training to be able to realize and actualize all my ideas. And I can figure them out in the studio with my equipment. And then, you know, I can hire uh, music preparation people and they can get it. And then lo and behold, you bring it to the studio and people play it. and It sounds like music. <laughs> 
So what's uh what's your favorite? Uh, you, you talk about ethnic music. What's your favorite culture to explore uh, musically? I think everything. I mean, I I particularly fascinated. You can actually understand world history by following you know the instruments movements across the world. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Where people went, they brought their music and their dance. And so, like, I just recently did a film uh, that has part of it take place in Uzbekistan along the Silk Road. And what's so fascinating is you find, you know, in Uzbekistan, you find in their music Chinese instruments, you know, things that are based on Chinese music and things that are based on Arabic music or Persian music or, you know, even some kinds of European music. And so it's just, you know, I don't really have a favorite. It's just almost like you can really understand a place by listening to its music. You can almost tell who they've been conquered by, who's passed through doing commerce, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I just, it's kind of a, um, I guess like you could call it a hobby or an interest of mine. Yeah. And it it, it definitely translates to, to, I guess, your body of work because you, you do a lot of documentaries and it seems that's your, you know, your area of focus. And is, is the, I guess, the fascination with people and, 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 and is that what keeps you coming back to that genre? Oh, yeah. I have to say, I you know, I did a lot of things before I started scoring documentaries primarily. And it's just such a perfect fit for me because I am an anthropologist at heart. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I find that, you know, I love to work on things where I'm always learning and I love, I mean, you won't get more dramatic material than you get in documentaries. I mean, it's the real thing. These stories are, you couldn't make some of these stories up. I mean, they're just unbelievable. And they're, you know, they're passion. there's a lot of passion from the filmmakers. And so for me, it's just such a perfect fit because I get to combine what I love to do, which is make music with my values, you know, and, and do work that I'm very proud of and support causes that I care about and, and things like that. And uh, musically, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of composers who are, you know, mainly they work in, in features, but they also do documentaries. And I always ask them what the, the differences are. And, and so what, what do you think is the essential purpose of uh, music in a documentary? And, I, you know, I feel like it, the function kind of stays the same, but I, I feel like it, the approach differs. And, and how, how do you approach it, you know, musically when you're telling a story in a documentary? Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, people ask that question, but, you know, storytelling, good storytelling is good storytelling. And I think when I first started working on docs a long time ago, people were more timid about using music as part of the filmmaking process. You know, they, they really wanted it to be there and not there. Mm -hmm. They wanted it as mm -hmm. filler. But I think we're finding now, we're seeing a much more sophisticated approach in documentary filmmaking, and the filmmakers are being bolder, and they're basically using it like any filmmaker would use it to tell a story. There, there are some differences, though. I mean, first of all, I feel a tremendous responsibility to the stories and the people in the film for a complete honesty, no gimmicks, you know, usually underplay, you know, not not to play games with the storytelling, you know, and, and be manipulative. It, although we all know that there, there's the, there's no, no such thing as a non-subjective film, you know. There's mm -hmm. <laughs> always a point of view. But, but to, to at least be forthright and honest about it, and I try to bring that into the score. But I'd say the most, the most obvious thing to me is that in, in documentaries, there's pretty much always someone talking. And so I've 
I kind of call myself the queen of beds, you know, that you could create these underlying beds of music that have musical integrity that further a theme and, and use themes in a way to enhance the storytelling, um, you know, become part of the story structure and still be out of the way. And, and I've kind of developed all these different ways of doing it where you kind of keep the music compressed to, in a certain way so that it never takes over and it's it's there doing whatever the filmmaker would like it to do without being in the way or interfering because you know one of my one of the things i pride myself on is that i i don't want to have to go to the mixing stage and and have them just keep turning the music down because they want to hear the dialogue i want to write the music in a way that it contours to the dialogue and to whatever action is going on and and so you know it can breathe and and not have the need. And, and one of the greatest compliments I've, I get from mixers is, hey, I didn't even have to touch the levels hardly at all, you know, because I'm trying to do that before they ever get it. Yeah, it's a fine line, I guess, to walk between the dialogue and, you know, you have a lot of interviews and stuff like that, and you don't want to trip over that, so. Exactly, and it's very challenging, but it's also can be done in a way that, that the music can have the integrity so I, I, you know, it's just challenging. It takes time, and and that's another reason. You know, um, I really, I really believe in using live musicians, and I think that especially in documentaries, they bring an element to it that sort of breathes life. It creates transparency in the tracks because there's breathing space. You know, when people are really playing, um, you know, the synth sounds tend to be very. You know, they fill up the track. Yeah. And there's no, you know, you don't feel this sort of space that you feel in real music. Oh, I call it real music. I, I mean, it's all real music, but but I mean, I just think it's very important to have that element in a documentary score for sure. And uh, while working on documentaries, you know, I, I would feel like it's uh, very easy to become emotionally invested and <laughs> and yeah. uh, and so do you do you allow yourself to to become emotionally invested in the story does that affect your writing at all or do you try to keep some sort of distance to keep your writing I, I, you know I don't know is it, is it does it help well, <laughs> I think that um, I think that for me anyway what I've discovered is that there's an artistic sensibility that allows me to be able to translate my emotions into music and Part of that is I have to be open to my feelings about the material. But it is an interesting, um, you have to somehow, sometimes maintain a balance because, for instance, if I'm experiencing the emotions of the story different than the filmmaker wants to express them, I have to really harness my own emotions and somehow chant, redirect them in the way that needs to, be, needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, like when I was working on Ghosts of Abu Ghraib, you know, there's nothing quite like waking up in the morning and turning on my my studio and the first thing I see is some of the horrible photographs of what they did to those prisoners. And, you know, it was really intense to, to work on that for days at a time. And it does affect me, you know. I mean, I'm a human being and I'm also very, I care a lot about what how people treat each other. And so, you know, it did affect the writing. And I think in that case, it allowed me to really channel some of that, pain, you know, and, um, but in another case, on a film where the filmmaker was making a film about her family, and it happens to be a, a very famous historical family, which I have feelings about, mm -hmm. and 
my feelings were really different than what she was trying to express in her film. She was trying to keep it much lighter. And, and so I had to really work on my, you know, I kept writing stuff and she'd be like, no, 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 <laughs> you know, this is, <laughs> and so I had to really pull it back and, and redirect myself. So, you know, it's an interesting thing because everything we do is subjective. Yeah. I mean, and, and you have a, you know, unique voice in your music, of course. And, uh, it just, I mean, I, you know, working, I think for me, if I work on a documentary, it would just, where I would probably tr look at it as a viewer versus then the person constructing it, and that's. <laughs> well, I think you know, but I'm. That's part of what's good for uh, a composer to do because, like, a lot of times we're the first real audience for the film. The editor, like in a documentary, the editor and the uh, director or and whatever producers have been working, you know, kind of in a vacuum for a while. Right. And one right. of the first people to really give them feedback. Because whatever I write is direct feedback for their film, you know, what I, how I experience it. And so they may give me notes and things, but I'm still going to respond. So some of them like that and some of them don't. You know, they just want to keep you under, ta you know, keep you more uh, in service to their vision. And other people want to know more about how you perceive it, you know. And, right. and right. It's, it's an interesting thing. I think one thing composers, uh, I'd say 50 to 70 percent of our job is how we handle the relationship I mean, most, most composers I know are good composers. You know, we're all good musicians. We're all good composers. Um, some people are more adept at film composing than others. But the thing is, you've got to be able to have these relationships that can be on a creative level. And that they're very difficult relationships because music is something that's intangible. And people are have, directors who are usually very confident are often... Um, a little bit got you know a little bit confused by the music process and uncomfortable with it so we have to really walk a fine line <laughs> yeah I mean I think the director composer relationship is you know very important because I, I come from that the directing side and music oh. music is very important to me when I when you know when I write and and uh, edit and all that but I I, I just think well, what are, what are some qualities in directors that you look for that make your job a lot easier well I think um, first of all I have enormous respect for anybody who manages to get a film to the place where they're bringing it to a composer because I know how hard it is especially in documentaries um, I think that if a, if, a, if a director has a very strong vision it's very helpful um, if they're really not that they have to know what they want the music to be but they know what they want the film to be and so one if you have someone with a confident strong vision of their film and what they're trying to accomplish together we can go through this this complicated process of figuring out how to accomplish how, how the music can further that goal you know further that that um, approach to the film help communicate what they want people to experience you know from and take away <clears throat> from the film so that kind of confidence helps because if they're if they're wishy-washy and people around them are, if they, you know, if they get all this input from everyone around them, it makes it much harder to work with them because they might like something one day and then they'll come back two days later and go, oh no, you have to change that. And they can't make up their mind because they're too, they're not confident enough about their own vision. You know, I mean, I'm not against people. We're always tweaking and upgrading and updating ideas and, and developing them more. But that's different than actually not knowing if something works or not. So I think it's really important, and I try to encourage directors to do some experimenting on their own with temp music, not in the sense that they just cut it in and that's that, but to sit 
down and really experience their footage with all different kinds of music. Like I always say, pick music that's really different, but there's something about it that resonates for you with what you're trying to accomplish in this scene. And just throw it up there, even if it's ridiculous, if it's Bruce Springsteen or Chinese music, you know, it doesn't matter. Just throw it up there and see what happens, because that's kind of what I do. Like, I might have an idea. I mean, basically, they give me however much information they give me when we spot is what I begin my process with. If they don't give me any, then I just completely respond on my own. Right. So, I mean, I'll just throw up an idea and then there might be, it might seem ridiculous, but there's one little thing that happens when you watch it with that music that didn't ever happen before. And so you go, wow, okay, that's one idea that I can build on. And I throw that in a pot. And then we just, you know, and it's, that's the kind of process, especially when you're first starting. Because I think people are too quick to decide, oh, the temp music's working, let's just duplicate that. You know, that's only one idea. You know, that's just one approach. Once you bring a composer on board, there's so many ways it can go. You know, there's infinite decisions to make constantly. So, you know, it, it, you have to be able to hold all that in your head and also take direction. Right. You know, so yeah. I give them the benefit of my ideas, but only if they want them. You know, I have a lot of experience. I don't certainly not saying I know everything and I don't know the best ideas, but I may bring an idea or, and any composer might bring an idea that they hadn't even thought of. Mm -hmm. And that could be really wonderful. So, I mean, so I want an openness. I mean, an openness is important. But an ability to direct and guide and keep people on tracks. They've got to bring all these different people who work on the film into the same, on the same path. We've all got to be doing the same thing, you know. Otherwise, you get a film that has no, uh, you know, it doesn't focus. And so, you know, directors, it's a very intriguing position, I think. And it takes a certain kind of person to be a director, to be a successful director. And I mean successful in the sense of being able to make a film that works, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it does get overwhelming, I think for that, for that person in that role too, at some time, at some yeah. point. And then like, like you said, they'll get obsessed with the temp track and be like, oh, you know, let's just keep it like that. They don't want to, you know, change it up. <laughs> well, they're afraid because they probably went through a million things to try to find that, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's really hard to start the process all over again, especially once you've been through the editing and you're at the point where you're ready to start composing, it's like, oh, you know, yeah. it, it's really not for the meek. I mean, this is a, I think uh, directors have to be really strong, really focused, and able to stay focused for a really long time. I mean, these films can take, uh, docs can take 10 years, you mm, know. Yeah. Not that you're doing it all the time, but you have to stay focused on what you're trying to do. And, you know, whatever you're doing it, and you, and, you know, and I think also, it's interesting when you bring on experienced crew who are really good at what they do, they know how to take direction and allow the director to focus them. You know, like I, I feel like I'm just a tool. Use me. You know, I can bring things to you and I can do what you want, you know. And usually if, if I'm not able to, if it, you know, sometimes it takes a long time to, to find that thing, you know. And, and different people are willing to dig deeper in, than other people in trying to find something, you know what I mean, to mine out this material that we're trying to do and, and achieve perfection within a certain framework. Right, yeah. <laughs> There's, you know, I mean, as perfect as it can be, but, but I mean, you know, some people can really hang in there and just go through this very arduous process and other people, you know, are on a deadline and you've got to focus and get it done. You know, I mean, there's just different ways of doing it. So, 
it's important to be able to distinguish with what we're doing. Are we doing this? Is this like an ongoing process? And I kind of feel like I'm one of those, as an artist, that's intriguing to me, you know, to go into the really hard, deeper process of the work. But I also understand, hey, if we're on a deadline, let I know some good ways to make it go faster, mm-hmm. you know, speed and, up the process. Right, which comes from experience and repetition and all that. Yeah, you know, and just having had a kind of an arsenal of things I've done. Yeah. And, uh, well, looking at the landscape of, of the composing world, it's a, it's a very, um, you know, male-dominated industry. And uh, as such an established female composer, what, what advice would you give to young, <laughs> to young women wanting to come into this industry and, and write music for films? Well, you know, it's interesting. I met with, uh, I'm an SCL board member, the Society of Composers mm-hmm. of Lyricists. We have a wonderful mentoring program, which is really for, it's not really like taking necessarily just young people, but different people come through the program and they just meet with different composers and, you know, have different experiences and get to know people and go to sessions and things. And so I had a group of them over here the other day and we were talking about that, you know, and and it's like, um, first of all, I think that, first of all, there's classes you can take now, which there weren't when I was coming up, you know. So that you can actually go through to college and take a major and really get the information that kind of gets you going, you know what I mean? So you get you come you pop out ready to go. You know the technology, you understand the genres, you understand what your what your job description is and things like that. So those are things that I kind of learned on the fly. So that that's going to help with women. I think there's a lot more young women that are um, really interested in this. It it really is a perfect career for a woman in some ways because women you know we're sort of you know how can I put this we're commute you know people think that women are communicators and we're more patient and more process oriented perhaps I don't know those are (laughs) things that women you know traditionally are supposed to have and I think those are all things that work really well for this career I don't think the young women feel the stigma like I mean, I pretty much go into a room and I'm the only woman most of the time. Um, There are other, you know, Laura Cartman, another woman composer who's, she's won three Emmys. And she does games, video games, and she's done series for Spielberg. I mean, you know, she's, she was the one I thought was going to really do it, you know, because she, she, right after Shirley Walker, who unfortunately died just as she was, you know, kind of poised to cross into that. Um, Laura has everything needed. She's got all the chops and the academic background, everything, you know. So it's really hard, you know. It's a hard thing for women to penetrate into Hollywood. But I think we see that on, in all the jobs in Hollywood, not except for producer maybe. You know, women are not penetrating the Hollywood system because of the probably the big money that's involved there. I don't really know about that. But I, I learned a long time ago that I wasn't really, you know, I... I think everyone has to really search themselves. I tell every young person, really figure out what would make you happy because this career will take over your entire life. I mean, you really can't really do much else because it's so labor intensive. And it's it's like you have to be on everyone else's schedule all the time. Even the most famous composers are on these ridiculous deadlines. And so, you know, you better love what you're doing or you're going to hate your life because it's really hard work. Um, and I personally need to feel very good about what I'm doing. I need to feel connected to the work. Otherwise, I can't imagine why I would go through this. You know, it's it's just, you know, it becomes exciting if you love it, you know, but a drudgery if you don't. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think more young women are going to be, you know, there's more music schools that are more 
programmed towards careers in the working world today, and there's more film scoring uh, co courses. And also, you know, I think that uh, in past generations, there were more jobs in the music industry than there are today. I mean, it's really, if you're not working in film, the record business is not, nothing. It's a shadow of what it was. I mean, you, you know, and there used to be live gigs. Like, I made my living as a live musician for many, many years, playing, you know, first in clubs and then and then parties and, you know, all kinds of different things, you know. And then, and then when I was first composing, there were all these corporate jobs. Like, you did corporate videos. It was like commercials for corporations in-house. It was a thriving industry, and you could actually make a living doing that. So there were a lot of ways to, to make a living as a musician and also a composer. But now, you know, film composing or media composing, I should say, more than film composing, because there's all these new media outlets. And I think that's really where musicians are heading. If you have any ability to work in a studio, produce stuff, and compose then that's where the work as a working musician is. You can't go out and make a living playing weddings and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I used to make a living with that. I could actually work on weekends, and then I could score and make very little money scoring, you know, but be able to do it because I was making money on the weekends as a performer. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a, I mean, it's a constantly shifting, I think, industry too, yeah. so it always changes. You have got super flexible got to have your chops really together you got to have your studio really together um, there's so many levels it's a very demanding career uh, and I think for some people like me uh, like I'm a total a personality hyperactive hyperkinetic you know it's like if I wasn't doing this I'd be pulling my hair out so I think that a lot of the composers I've met are really you know they're high energy people who need to have some a lot of work to do <laughs> so it works really well for us you know but it isn't for everybody I've, I've seen people just get beat up you know it's it's really a hard way to do it if you're if you're not naturally inclined <laughs> right yeah it's it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you can get abusive <laughs> well to uh to wrap things up i always like to to ask composers um if you had the opportunity to score any film ever made with no disrespect to the original composer Oh my God. What film would you choose? Well, I would probably, if I could work for Nino Rota and Federico Fellini, I think I would have loved that. Wow, that's a <laughs> great answer. Oh my God. I mean, I don't want to, I mean, those movies were so creative and visually stunning and there was so much depth to them. I mean, there was kind of everything going for it, you yeah. know? Um, Nino Rota was like, a master of every I mean as far as I'm concerned he's just one of a kind <laughs> uh, yeah I love his music so much <laughs> oh my god I listen to it all the time <laughs> well that's a great answer I really um but uh thank you Miriam so much for talking it was very enlightening very uh, it was a great pleasure to talk to you it's slightly hyper right <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not hyper I wouldn't say hyper <laughs>